Welcome to Grad Chat by PhD Balance, where we talk about topics of grad school beyond academic research and topics that might be a little bit more difficult to discuss in our day to day. I'm your host, Neba from Notes by Neba, and I'm a multimedia science communicator, which is basically a science content creator. I'm also the PhD Balance Ideals team leader. Ideals stands for inclusivity, diversity, equity, accessibility, and leadership. Before going any further, I would like to respect and acknowledge that I'm on the unseceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone peoples, the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never seceded, lost, ceded, lost, or forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, and I recognize that I benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. So if you like what you see here, please be sure to check out our YouTube channel for more grad chats. We have a podcast as well. And don't forget to subscribe for notifications for when we go live. Today, we're going to be talking about self-advocacy as a woman in physics. Um, I'm very excited to welcome our guest, Lipi Gupta, PhD. She uses pronouns she, her. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're very excited for this because Lippy just defended her PhD in physics 10 days ago from the University of Chicago. Congratulations. This is very exciting. She's now headed into a software engineering focused postdoc fellowship at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Being a woman in academia and STEM and in research has a lot of its challenges, as we all might know. Um, Self-advocating can be really complicated for, you know, a multitude of reasons, societal pressures, the things that have been put on us, but it's absolutely necessary, um, but doesn't always mean it's easy. So Lippy is here with us today to share her experiences on this. So Lippy, can you tell us a little bit about, like, just be, before we even get into it, uh, your education journey and kind of like why you decided to go to grad school? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I kind of, I think I sort of knew I wanted to go to grad school from a pretty young age. Um, and the reason for that is because I'm a professor's daughter. So uh, my dad um, has his PhD. And for us, it really was because my parents are both from India. And as immigrants, they wanted to make sure that my sister and I were set up for success in our lives. And the way that they had done that was, you know, for my dad was to get a PhD. And even my mom has significant education. And so both of them really valued education and instilled that in us very early on. Um, and so, you know, I was fairly young when I had a pretty good understanding of what a PhD was and what it looked like. Um, and so, there was always this thought process of find something that you're really interested in and then commit to it for a very long time. And I luckily found that thing for me in high school. So actually in my first year of high school is when I got to take a class where I learned, we were learning about all different types of engineering. And somehow during that class, I learned about the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. Um, uh, this is very impressive for a high school class, I just got to say. <laughs> I know it was. Like, well, and that's also has a lot to do with where I live. So I'm I'm in a university town. And so we and we have a huge engineering department at, at the university here. So it's um, we have a, we have a lot of opportunities, a lot of access to things that people don't have in other places. So it, it is a very impressive thing for high schoolers to have access to. Um, but yeah, and so basically what happened was we were talking about the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, which is a huge um, accelerate, particle accelerator in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. 
And I basically didn't believe that it could exist. I was like, there's no way this thing exists. I was, I was so skeptical, I'm very cynical. And it's sometimes funny because I even tell people, I think if I hadn't gotten into science, I could have gone like way down the rabbit hole of like conspiracy theories. And so I'm kind of glad that I went like, okay, I'm going to learn about this and figure out how this thing works. Um, and so really my mission from that point on was just trying to understand what are particle accelerators and like, how do you build a machine to do this? So my entire sort of undergraduate and graduate experience has been entirely about particle accelerators in particular, like how are they built? How do they work? Stuff like that. Um, and so luckily that's a small enough interest that you can do a PhD in that. Um, and so it kind of, you know, worked out for me. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Um, can you, I know you mentioned like you had, you know, professors for, or sorry, you, you had a, a dad who had his PhD and you lived yeah. in a university town. Um, do you feel like that kind of like prepared you for grad school? Yes, yes and no. I think, well, so here's one thing that I've reflected on quite a bit when I was in grad school was that I grew up in a house where my dad was a professor. So I, I knew what a committee was. I knew what it meant to get um, comments on your thesis and, and publishing papers or having a kind of relationship with your advisor where you can ask for help and, you know, things like that. Um, and so I was very lucky in that way that I had a set, you know, some of the um, expectations of graduate school were, were sort of known to me already. Um, which is not always the case. And I remember when I interacted with other graduate students in my program who were, their families were not in academia, their, their family, they hadn't pursued any graduate school or anything like that. They didn't have the same, like, just sort of like background knowledge that I took for granted. And so it, it was a very um, important thing for me at that point to kind of reflect and be like, wow, I know a lot of stuff about the unspoken rules and um, the, the way things are happening in graduate school that not everybody will know when they arrive. Um, the and so I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And even then, there are so many things that I don't know, because in the end, every field is super different. And so the way my, you know, and every university and every department is super different. So even if you have a pretty good sense of some of the basic stuff, like, you know, the timeline that you have in your department for like getting a committee and submitting work and blah, 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 and what their requirements are going to be is going to be totally different than the way any other university does it or any other department. Um, so it's, it's, Yes and no. So like the specific stuff, um, you have to learn when you get to your department. Um, and then, the, but the kind of bigger stuff, like even like what questions to ask, like even asking, like, when do I need my committee? That's a question you need to have a sense of what is a committee? Why do you need one? You know, things like that. Um, and that's not always uh, something that's made clear to graduate students when they arrive. And so, um, yeah, I think I do think that I had a lot of, uh, you know, advantages in that way coming from the background I did. Yeah, I think at the same time, it's uh, it's interesting to have advantages and yet also not as like, you know, a person also with a intersectional identity. Um, I am really excited to kind of hear more about like your self-advocacy and where exactly this came up. Um, firstly, how in what situations do you feel like you really had to advocate for yourself? Were there like specific 
instances where you were like, I need to push for this really hard right now? Or was it just kind of like a general from start to finish being a person in physics? I think there are very distinct moments in which I needed to advocate for myself. Um, and there are always at moments before significant transition happened, um, which I think makes sense. And that's not always the case, but that was the case for me. Um, so when I arrived at University of Chicago, originally I was going to work with one professor on a very specific topic. Um, and you know, I made the kind of, the, there's a lot, this is another one of those things that you, people talk about, but nobody actually ever, I think, really explains fully. Um, going to a, a graduate program with the sense of like, I'm going to work with this one professor who does this one thing and nobody else in the department does that thing is sometimes you're told not to do that because you might work with that professor for a year and then have a terrible relationship. And now you're not interested in anything else in the department. You're not interested in any other professor's work and now what? Um, and so I, I kind of did that. I mean, luckily University of Chicago has a couple of different professors working on different things. Um, that said, again, there's not a lot of universities in the US right now that do particle accelerator physics as, a, as its own subfield. There's a lot of high energy physics, which is different. Um, and so I sort of, I did that. I went to University of Chicago to work with this one professor that does this one thing and nobody else works on that. And it's because I love that topic and I still do. And I'm, I'm a little sad that I ended up pivoting. I mean, spoiler alert, I did end up not working with that professor. Um, but, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything dramatic. There was, and it was a very smooth transition. So I had a very good experience with when I did advocate for myself and say, hey, this isn't working for me. And I'll talk about what wasn't working. Um, that professor, he really, he told me, he said, go do good science. That's what he said to me. He was, there was no um, bad feelings. There was nothing like that because it really just came down to our styles not meshing at all. Um, he, he's a theorist and his mode of operation was to have a student go work on something for six years and come back and you'll have everything, you know, you'll have your whole theory and everything done. And I'm not like that. I'm a person that needs to be talking to someone daily uh, working with other people, co very collaborative, like very, very involved type of work and select something that's maybe a little bit more applied. Um, so I loved the work I did with that professor, but once I got to a point where I was, I was just miserable. I mean, I would come home every day. Um, I was driving to Argonne National Lab because that's where the professor, he mostly spent his time there. I was just sitting in an office. I didn't need to physically be there. That was another thing pre-pandemic, you know, there was this idea that you had to go and sit in an office in a specific place to work, even if you didn't need to talk to anybody there. And that's what was happening. So there was social isolation happening. There was uh, professional isolation happening. I didn't know anyone else in that office. It was, you know, later career scientists and I didn't interact with them. Um, and the work, while it was really interesting, was really hard. And I didn't have all of the access to help that I needed. Um, and so at some point, and, and the, the order of operation here is what happened was first I found another opportunity for myself. So I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't willing to switch to a different professor or different funding or a different project or, you know, until I had found all of those things. And then I was able to go to my, my the professor I was working for at the time to say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore and I need to go work on this other thing. Um, 
And at the time for me, you know, that was what had to happen in order for it to not be the most terrifying experience of my life, because not having funding, not having a project, you know, in graduate school, whereas there's this sense of like, I have to keep working towards this goal. And if I'm not working every second of every, you know, week or whatever, you know, I'm not going to say every second of every day, because I, I didn't do that. Um, but, you know, if, if you're not working constantly, then you're, you know, in trouble. And so at that time, that was the sort of the first moment I can think of of self-advocacy. I planned everything. And then I went to the professor and said, hey, this isn't going to work out. And I found this funding and I found this person. I found this project and I'm going to go work on that. Um, and so that's the first moment I remember. And that was already about a year and a half to maybe two years into my PhD that I sort of switched. Um, yeah, I think it was almost two years into my PhD. But there was this sense of like, I need a change and it's not going to happen unless I do it. And so I think that's, you... yeah. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, uh, please finish your thought. No, I'm just going to, I was just going to say that that's when you need to, that's when self-advocacy has to happen is when you know, like, that's the statement of if I don't do something about this, nothing is going to change. Yeah. Um, coming back to like the idea of self-advocacy more broadly, I think, it can look very different for different people. So what would you say self-advocacy means to you? For me, it's, it is what I've described is just like speaking up and saying what you need. Um, I, I had this cool opportunity at University of Chicago to take a class about um, like our emotions and dealing with emotions and stuff. And one of the, the things that we learned about in the class was how to ask for what you need and then deal with what happens afterwards, right? Because there's a lot of people who won't ask for what they need because they're so afraid that they won't get the answer they want. Um, and so for me, it's not only learning how to ask for what you need in a way that's sort of constructive, um, you know, you don't go in like crying and saying that you're miserable. It's like, no, you have to, you know, maybe give some specific ideas of what's not working and then what would help, um, you know, sort of like problems and solutions, at least in my, my case that worked. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. Um, no, but then, I, I think that's on a really good point there that like, it can be really overwhelming to just think about problems, especially in grad school. Cause you, it just feels like it's going on forever. And like, there it's like it's very per pervasive into just like every part of your life. Cause like you're working at work and you're, it's just, it permeates your life in a way that like, I think some jobs maybe maybe don't so if you think about solutions at the same time it kind of gives you that like ray of hope and at that moment you might be like oh there's no solution to this whatsoever but if you try and like you know sit down you're like problems and then solutions and least maybe the solution is wild maybe it's like you know leaving the lab and figuring out yeah. a whole new like place to go and if that's mm -hmm. what needs to happen then that's what needs to happen yeah exactly and I had a I had a really nice mentor though who it, because I've had multiple times throughout my PhD where I was like, I'm just going to quit. Like the only solution is quitting. And, you know, the nice thing he would say, he was like, that's always a solution is to just leave. But I mean, let's think of other solutions as well. He was like, that's always going to be a solution, but it's not the only solution. And so what are some other solutions before that one? You know, because so he never said that's not a solution. He said, it's just one solution. And I really appreciated that mindset of him not being like, no, don't quit. Or, you know, something like that. That That's not what he was saying. He's like, yeah, in the end, if this is really something you don't want to do or you can't do, you can leave. That's fine. But let's, let's also think of other ideas. Um, 
And then I just wanted to say one other thing, I think in particular about self-advocacy is maybe a little bit different than advocacy. I don't know, like, you know, just like generally being, being an advocate is if, you know, for me in particular, when I had a problem, I do try to think of a solution because like, I know what is going to work for me potentially. And there might be a situation where I don't know what the solution is. Um, but at least I might have a sense of like, if, if this was the way things looked like, I would function better or I would be happier or I would feel healthier or whatever. And so, and then you can brainstorm specifically what that looks like. Um, and so part of self-advocacy is also saying like, I'm not doing well because of this. And I think a way to mitigate this issue is by doing this. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a really great point. Um, it's often, I think uh, people are very quick to advocate for like friends and colleagues and other people and a little bit less for themselves. Um, why would you, speaking of academics specifically, why would you like kind of say self-advocacy is important for academics? Well, I think part of it is because there is a lot of these like unspoken or not, not unspoken, but there's, there's a lot of like, um, I don't even know what the word for it. I want to say like stereotypes almost about what it's like to be in academia. So for example, there is this sense of like, oh, graduate students are just constantly working 24 seven all over the, you know, on the weekends and everything. And so for example, when I went to Cornell, this was undergrad, um, Cornell is known to be like a pressure cooker. That's what people say that yeah. like, oh, <laughs> everyone's always working all the time. And you have no, you know, everybody's just like on the edge of mental breakdown. And I, I've had very stressful times at Cornell, but I never, ever did an all-nighter. Like I never pulled an all-nighter for anything while I was at Cornell. And the, the thing I tell people is if you just, if you, you know, I chose to just not do that. Everybody was like, oh, you know, I had so many friends who were just completely sleep deprived because they were constantly staying up to do things. And it's not, I was taking physics. I did a physics, you know, physics undergrad with a math minor. You know, I was working a lot and doing a lot of classes and I did research almost, you know, a full credit, you know, several credits worth of research. So I was busy. But for me at that point, it was like, I'm not going to give in to this thing that everyone is telling me I have to do or that what it looks like to be a Cornell student and so I think the same thing comes into graduate school now it's this every everyone in graduate school is constantly working all the time and in my case I was able to choose to not do that like there were definitely weeks where I was working a lot a lot a lot but then there were certain weeks where I was like I'm not working this weekend I'm not working on Friday and you know it'll be okay like no one's gonna you know call me out on it. Um, and maybe that's because also my professor was the way she was after I switched from the other professor, um, things like that. But that was why I think self-advocacy in, in academia is a little bit different than in other, in other uh, environments is because in some cases you do have the option to choose to take care of yourself in these little ways, um, you know, if you can. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I noticed with academia specifically is kind of the, you know, we all know it's like not very structured. You kind of just like do what you want with your time and you go to these meetings and seminars and blah, blah, blah. And um, at the end of that, like people can choose to work super hard and work weekends. And there were people I knew who went into lab like eight days a week. Um, and uh, it's, 
I think that's part of why like self-advocacy and academia is so key because like you you don't have any structure it's up to you to like decide what you're going to do and maybe you have like you might have a PI who's like very micromanaging and maybe like checks in on when you're in lab or like walks around the lab to see who's there or whatever um but it's very yeah <laughs> I know um, and that I've heard you know it's it, honestly I would call them horror stories I've heard and I've seen that myself at UChicago even there were professors who what I would what I would say is that they don't they don't model good boundaries um they themselves don't I, in my I would say that they don't advocate for themselves by taking time out of the lab and there are so many pressures I understand that there's fundings and all this type of stuff but I mean another I think another huge mission of mine in academia is to try to remind people like there's more than just this like yes we love our science and we do our science but sometimes it is a job and we have other things in our lives that we can do too and so modeling good boundaries when it comes to how much you're working how much you're doing how much you're asking other people to do um you know, that's that maybe that's a separate conversation, but I, I just feel like that's part of it. And then, you know, the, then the other part of it being, and again, I did see this at UChicago a couple of times, um, people burning out and having to take time off. And the problem is that usually even when you get to the point of finally being able to ask to, for time off, you've already, you know, exhausted yourself because you got to the point of burnout and then kept going for a month. And then you were literally like, I cannot function. I need time off. Um, so another thing I would really recommend is if you can, if you feel safe enough and you feel brave enough, advocate for yourself before you get to that point. Don't even get to that point because it's miserable. I, this happened to me right before this is the other more most recent form of self-advocacy was a couple months before I was actually supposed to defend. I, I was working so hard, so, so, so hard that I was beyond burnt out. And so finally, and it's, and it's interesting because before this, I had been telling my friends, like, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I need to tell my professor what's happening. And a lot of them asked me, they're like, okay, you can tell her, but what do you want her to do in like when you tell her? Because that's another thing is, and you can say, hey, I just want you to know this. Like, this is just information I need you to have, which is I'm exhausted, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, which mo most PIs would hopefully be like, okay, well then take time off. Um, in my case, what ended up happening is finally when I got to that point and I did go burn out and then a month later, still even more burnt out um and finally emailed my professor and said hey i need a month off like i i need i can't look at a computer screen i can't look at my thesis i can't look at anything i need a month off and luckily my my professor being the actually like superstar that she is was like yes take a month off just put everything away and take a month off and um that was exactly what I needed because afterwards I came back and I was doing great. Um, so again, if you're able to get to, you know, unfortunately I'd like you to not get to that point, but if you do get to that point, please say something to someone and take the time off. Um, you know, I'm really you glad can. your professor had such a like positive reaction to you oh, like yeah. standing up oh, and yeah. stuff. Um, what other kind of reactions have you gotten from people when you do self-advocate? Well, so I have a very interesting anecdote that I thought about that I, I wanted to share because I think it's a 
very powerful example of me observing self-advocacy happening and um I I'm gonna try to be very vague because I I of course don't want to um share anything too in detail but what basically what happened was I was TAing for a class at U Chicago and one of the other TAs um we were in a situation where we were like what's called like a half TA so we we didn't have the same responsibilities as like the full TAs but one of these other half TAs was being asked to do work that wasn't part of our hours for the position. And she, in that, in a meeting, we were all the TAs were there and the professor and everyone were there, said this. She said, hey, I, I think I'm being asked to do more. And she and she actually, she had talked to me about this and I had asked her, hey, do you want me to say something? And she was like, no, I'll do it, which was great. You know, again, she wanted to advocate for herself, which was awesome. Um, and the professor and the other like sort of admin person did not take this the right way. They were, in my opinion, very unprofessional. And they basically were accusing her of not, of not wanting to do work. And they were saying that they were like, we're going to tell your professor that you're not doing the work that you told us you were going to do. And just like, I mean, like your worst nightmare type of situation when it comes to self-advocacy. So it was, it was horrible. I mean, and she stayed so strong during that meeting, but at the end they were like, we're going to contact the chair. We're going to contact this person, this person where like you, and all she was saying was I'd like for us to do the like hours breakdown for the work that I'm being asked to do and see if it fits in my hours. It was, it's like very academic question. Like I want to quantitatively determine that the hours I'm being asked to work actually or within the scope of how much I'm being paid, for example, right? Um, and the answer could have been yes or no, right? Like they could have just done the calculation and been like, yes, it turns out this is in the number of hours and you should do it. And then she would have been like, great, now I know and I feel good about it and I feel fine. Um, but they totally took this the wrong way. And so in that moment, that's when I remembered I've had very good, again, I've had very good experiences being able to advocate for myself and not everybody has that experience. And for me, what it's done is it's reinforced that I can advocate for myself. And for another person, it probably has reinforced that advocating for yourself is not an option. One, it makes you afraid to do that ever again. And two, it makes you feel like you need to ask someone else for help. And while there's nothing wrong with that, I think it is really empowering to be able to help yourself at times and to sort of have that experience and then take that away from that person, I think is really upsetting. I, I you know, so that was a, a terrible experience. Luckily, it got resolved very well um, in favor of the student. Nothing bad happened to her and it was, it was resolved. But First of all, nothing would have happened. And she, honestly, she would have take, been taken advantage of by this professor and this other person who were asking her to do more work than she was supposed to if she hadn't said anything. And in that moment, it was really, really scary for her. And luckily she had support. I mean, I was there, you know, we were trying to, you know, sort of ease the situation and, and you know, take care of everything. Um, 
but she also she also had not in the room but afterwards had a really good pi who was on her side and the chair of the department who is actually my professor (laughs) yeah yeah so so the chair of the department is actually my pi and again reminder she's a superstar so in the end you know we had a good system of people who were um really supportive of this type of advocacy um but that's not always the case so i don't i do want to just acknowledge that it can be really scary and it can go really wrong. And I saw it happen. Um, But if you are able to, you know, take away the positive from that experience of if she hadn't done that, nothing would have happened and she would have had to do more work than she should have. And the next 10 graduate students would have also been taken advantage of in the same way. And so while it's not on any one graduate student to throw themselves in front of the bus of, you know, power structures, in that case, you know, her being brave and doing that really helped our department. Because the other thing that came out of this was my, the chair of our department made it very clear what the hours breakdown looks like. So now there's no question. Now everybody knows how many hours they can be asked to do certain TA work. Um, And so I think, you know, in that case, again, she may be really terrified to advocate for herself in the end, uh, you know, again, but I hope that, you know, she's able to remember that even through that really scary, scary, you know, horrible experience, a lot of good came out of it. And she learned a lot of skills too, which is that she can advocate for herself. Um, And so again, She's also, again, I'm using she pronouns because she does identify with she, her pronouns and she identifies as a woman, I identify as a woman. It's really hard as a woman in a room of nobody else that looks like you really. Um, It just adds another layer of- Explaining yourself and- Yeah, and just, and like, do I, should I be in this room? And I, I have a lot of experience now through my years of being in physics where I was the only woman in the room. Um, speaking up in those situations is so challenging. Like just reaching that level of bravery to speak up in a room where nobody looks like you, nobody has the same experience as you. Um, it's not their fault. It's no one's fault. It's just is the way it is, or maybe it's someone's fault, but I'm, you know, not in the people in the room, they, they, they can be there. That's fine. Um, but you know, the, the other point of being was like, I also can be there and I'm allowed to be there and I'm allowed to speak up. Um, and so there's, you know, again, there's layers. So the first layer is being in the room and feeling comfortable in the room. And then the next layer is actually opening your mouth and saying something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned something about kind of like, uh, people to support you in these environments and places to kind of like, you know, have that support. I want to add a little note that like, a lot of times people don't feel supported, especially when they're going up against, you know, a professor or someone who's got like a bit of a power imbalance there. And one thing that can be really helpful is talking to someone else who has that higher power, you know, like if you're having a difficult conversation with the professor, maybe you can talk to another professor about it, see what their advice is, see if they're willing to like come with you to this meeting, even Um, having like people on your side, so to speak, people who are also higher in power is one way to kind of like improve that like dynamic right there um do you personally have different approaches for like how you deal with different people like another grad student versus a PI versus like 
someone higher up in, I don't know, uh, the dean. Oh, totally. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, in general, for people who I've had to sort of have difficult conversations with, if it's somebody who is um, closer to me in like the hierarchy, it's a little bit easier. So there have been postdocs who I've had to, you know, sort of, again, also advocate for myself. It's, it's, it really happens every day. Now that I think about it, you, in some ways, I feel like it's always happening. I'm always sort of having to have it. And, and actually one thing in, in physics, especially as a woman in physics, and it can depend on so many things, for example, your appearance. So I'm, I'm a person that likes to do my makeup and my hair. And for some reason, people associate that with not caring about your science enough. Um, and I've heard this said to other women that if they spent less time on their hair and makeup, they'd have more time for their science, which is absurd because it, I, okay, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, but <laughs> for example, I, there are times where I really have to remind people, I am a physicist. I am a physicist, even though you, for some reason, don't think I am because you've never seen a physicist that looks like me every day I have to convince people that I'm a physicist um I find it so, so mind-blowing that-, that some people are like you know out of the 24 hours of your day how dare you spend 20 minutes on your hair and makeup like I'm sorry you like I can also work out I can also cook like there's tons of things yeah you, <laughs> no, you probably spent 20 minutes just looking at your phone this morning oh, I spent Lord. it oh my god yeah. screen yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm like I I sure I spent it on brushing my hair and putting a little eyeliner on it doesn't mean I'm not doing my work. I don't know. Anyways, again, sorry, different conversation. Um, but yeah, so, so again, you're, you're, I don't remember exactly what I was saying, but you're, you're always advocating for yourself as a woman. And then, so with a different, at the different levels. So for example, I I haven't been in a situation where I've really had to have, like, I think the hardest conversations I've had are the ones I've talked about, which is, you know, wanting to switch, uh, PIs, which, again, that one went really well because it was just like, hey, I found this other project I'm really interested in and I'm going to go work on it. And that that professor was just like, cool, like that sounds like a great project, go do it. You know, he was just really supportive of that. Um, so in that case, it was something I could just go and talk to this person directly. Um, but I have had situations where there are other, so for example, like postdocs when I was still working on my PhD who were very, um, helpful in in being my backup and they were like hey you know if you want if you need to deal with this situation and you want to go talk to a professor or higher up um whatever like I got your back and they're in they are in a higher position of power and they're not in the same institution so there's they have different um you know power that I don't have um, you know, it is unfortunate being a graduate student, you know, sometimes you're considered kind of like the, the bottom of the food chain in terms of this, this power dynamic. Um, and so ha- being able to find somebody who will back you up, um, in the institution is, re- it, if you can do that, that's really helpful. And I have spent a lot of time at UChicago working with um, the different deans. Um, I spent some time uh, working with the Title IX office on um, like uh, how to make their services more accessible and stuff like that. It was like a student committee who that worked on that. Um, and I think people do get afraid of university administrations or they think that they're um, just like out to get you or something, but 
the deans and administrative staff are a really good support system too. And they're there because they, you know, you said, sure, it's a job, but they do care about their students. Um, and I've met a lot of really, so if you can't find someone in your academic field that, you know, a postdoc, a, a senior graduate student, another professor, any of those things, um, you know, look for a dean, look for somebody else who, you know, maybe it's their job to help you out with this kind of stuff. And there are people at most universities whose their job is to help graduate students deal with difficult situations. And if you need that, it's worth at least finding out if that's a good avenue for you. And most of them can, most of them, you know, respect confidentiality. You can just go there and be like, hey, you know, I don't know if I want to do anything about this, but I want to talk to you and see if you can help me or what you think I should do. Um, that's, that's something I, I do recommend. Yeah. Ending on kind of a note of um, a kind of advice and tips, um, what sort of steps can someone who is new to self-advocacy take just to like start out? Are there like specific things you would try to do to like advocate for yourself in small situations? Because you don't necessarily have to go all out. So what's like a good place to start? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you said it. I think the place to start is with really small things. Um, or, or sorry, that sounds, that doesn't sound right. I, what I mean by really small things is not, you know, usually things that seem small or that they should be small or something are things that really weigh on us too. So start with things maybe in your personal life. Start advocating for yourself when it comes to relationships in your life or um, little things like, hey, you know, this happened the other day and it was kind of frustrating. I think in the future, let's, you know, make sure to communicate before we make plans or, you know, something like, you know, the little, little moments of advocating with friends, start with your friends, because again, I love my friends and all my friends are amazing, but there are definitely times where I haven't spoken up and said, Hey, like you were supposed to call me and you never did. You know, I just let that go. And I'm like, that, that person's my friend and they care about me. I should, should have said something and then it'll, it'll help our relationship in the future. Um, so I think that, starting small is a really good place to um, uh, to start. And I think the other thing is find your support system, find the people who are always in your corner or, you know, maybe not unconditionally, but at least the people who are, who definitely have your best interests at heart and bounce ideas off of them. Because another thing that happened for me was in the moments where I was like, Hey, I'm going to say something to this person I've been having a problem with. Um, I had, you know, have a lot of friends who'd be like, okay, whoa, 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 you need to restructure this. You need to think about like, have you really considered the, the perspective here? And they've helped me workshop not only how, not, not to say that they're invalidating my feelings, but they're helping me really like boil it down to like, okay, here's what you need to do that will be constructive and not escalate the situation further or something like that. Someone who isn't emotionally involved in the situation, but is emotionally involved in you and, and they care about you. Um, so find, find that uh, support system and, and keep up with them. I, I know being in graduate school is really time consuming, but invest in those friendships because they're that's what's going to keep you going through grad school it's it's a it's a marathon it's not a sprint so take it slowly and you know invest time in those things yeah um one thing I have been doing for the last like three four five weeks now has been um figuring out like what my priority is in life overall and one big one for me is working out because I feel like it's like such a keystone habit that like makes other things fall into place much easier. So I've started like building my schedule entirely around my workouts. Like that is the one thing that I will not skip and not mess up on. And it's given me so much more energy and I've done so many more things now. And like, 
literally the other day I like <laughs> told this person I couldn't meet because that meant that intersected with my workout time and I was so proud of myself you know look at good. us good yeah that's great that's Beautiful. that's like it's not a little thing because for you it's super important but it's little in terms of like you had control over that and like you know hopefully this friendship wasn't like okay well bye you know <laughs> it was like just okay we'll meet another time so the that's really important that's awesome yeah well, thank you so much for coming here and joining us on Grad Chat. Um, we really appreciate you coming here. Um, for everyone who is listening, watching to this, all the links for connecting with Libby will be in our description or in the description box, depending on where you're looking at. And that is all we have for you today. Until next time, I will see you 